G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast after a pretty lengthy delay for a really good reason. Um, lack of work ethic, more than anything, complete laziness. Uh, we're back talking all things Socceroos. I'm Ben Quagliata, the host, and joining me from Seven now, Seven West, I'm sorry, over in Perth, it's Ben Smith. How are you, mate? Hey, Ben, how are you doing, mate? I knew I, knew I was going to muck that up. <laughs> It's all good. Uh, you, you got there in the end, and that's the, at the end of the day, that's the important thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, I was just thinking to myself, just whatever you do, don't mess up in the first minute. Um, <laughs> we can roof off it later, but no. Nah. Anyway, um, thank you for joining us. Um, that's all right, mate. More than happy to. Obviously, you would have been all over the World Cup covering it for for work. And how's the, the sleep treating you at the moment? Uh, to be honest, Ben, it's not great. Um, you know, as I was just saying to you off air, um, I, I, I get up once a week uh, to watch NFL Red Zone on Monday morning. So I'm normally up at 5am for that. And I think that's kind of helped condition my body for the early morning kickoff. Uh, I don't think my body's been prepared for the amount of like late night slow, like the 11pm kickoff, which of rather the, the 9 p.m. kickoff, which finished at 11 p.m., and then I have to be up at 5 a.m. the next day. So I'm only getting, you know, five and a half and six hours sleep. So um, I've been having a lot of a, uh, a Suntory like kind of boss coffee in the morning. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of helping sustain me. And then I normally have one or two when I actually get to work. So I'm pretty, uh, my, my body's probably going to be way too caffeinated. I mean, it's already too caffeinated as it is. By the end of a tournament, I'm just going to be like Fry in Futurama where he has the 100 coffees and everything goes <laughs> down, I assume. Um, but yeah, I, for the most part, I'm enjoying this World Cup. Uh, I don't think I've been completely wrecked by the time difference just yet. I feel like it's going to hit in the knockout stages more so. But I've been, um, it's been good. And it's been really fun covering it for work to an extent. Uh, which, you know, like is uh, something I dreamed of doing when I was a kid. So it's kind of cool that I'm actually doing it now. It's still kind of a real like pinch yourself moment for me. Yeah, for sure. You must be wired. I've, I've walked past those boss copies so many times and just like never had the nerve to get one. They're, they're pretty good. I um, I went to Japan when I was in high school and they just do, I don't, I mean, I didn't really drink like proper coffee at that stage, but uh, so I didn't actually see any like cafes which did, you know, hot you know, hot coffee as we'd have it. But they like there are a ton of vending machines which sell like coffees, like boss coffee, similar stuff. I'm sure I would have had a boss coffee when I went over. And uh yeah, a couple of years ago I just kind of started noticing well we're selling them again. I've been uh been back on that that boss life ever since. Not not an ad though, not sponsored. Not sponsored. If they do want to sponsor me, I like it. You're welcome to Suntory. If you, you get your people call my people, will I will very happily um, sell myself out just for you know to endorse your product. <laughs> I mean, there's worse. There's worse. There's brands. a lot worse things to do. I mean, you could be uh, I don't know, like taking millions of dollars to uh, endorse Qatar as a World Cup uh, venue. Uh, not mentioning any uh, names, David Beckham. <laughs> well, at least they'd be able to sell Boss Coffee in the stadium. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure. Um, yeah, you can have coffee in the stadium. You can, I mean, if you sneak in a hip flask from outside, uh, providing, you know, that hasn't been confiscated. Um, I've actually got, I've got a friend who's over in Qatar at the moment. And um, 
he's been doing this thing. He um I play for Curtin Uni Soccer Club over in over in WA and he does this thing on our social media accounts called Curtin TV, which is a bit of a uh it's kind of like half serious, half bit of a piss take of uh, you know, kind of like football club social media. And he'll, he'll, you know, if he's not playing on Saturdays, he'll interview like players, ask him how many days going, how they played, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, but he intentionally has really bad production value. So he's got instead of a microphone, he uses a uh, an ice cream cone with a tennis ball gaffer taped to it. Yeah, yep. Um, and he um, he's actually taken it to uh, he's he took it to guitar and he said, um, you know, to try and do some kind of funny. Curtain TV content over in Qatar, which he has managed to do, but he said um, he tried to take it into one of the stadiums and the Qatari uh, uh, security confiscated his ice cream cone with a tennis ball uh, and duct tape because they thought it was a threat or it was like outside food. or I don't know what the official explanation is, but um, he said he's had to make a makeshift one with an, a different ice cream cone and an apple, uh, which apparently is slightly less offensive for some reason, but he says that one's also been confiscated. So... Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, apparently they don't like, uh, you know, like intentionally bad microphones. <laughs> I'm not even going to analyze that one because there's, so, yeah. there's, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down. Um, there's, there's a, yeah, there's, let's, um, I think we may lose our minds if we start to uh, delve too deep into the... Uh, it's like the conspiracy in um, uh, Always Sunny, just, you know, the, all the... <laughs> The, the Q and QAnon stuff uh, stands for Qatar, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's swiftly move on before, yeah, we get, <laughs> before we get censored. Um, it's obviously, we'll, we'll focus on Australia. We might do some general World Cup stuff a little bit later on. But the first couple of games, I wanted to do this after the first game. But again, lack of work ethic, laziness. <laughs> um so we're doing it now. So I think it's probably better to do it now after a win than after a, a loss yeah, where the sure. skies may be falling down a bit. But let's go back to the France game. And I guess the first thing I wanted to touch on was when you saw the lineup, just the, the starting 11 straight off the press, initial reaction. Obviously, we knew we knew Boyle was out. And then <clears throat> we knew Hrusic was not fit for starting minutes, but maybe coming off the bench. So... They went Riley McGree and Jackson Irvine as kind of co-tens. Just what were your thoughts around that? It's, uh, I kind of expected Graham Arnold to do that. I just kind of looked at the the composition of the squad and thought about, because Graham Arnold has, you know, it's kind of been a meme around soccer as fans for a while that Graham Arnold has his favourites. Um, but he absolutely does. There are certain players he 100% trusts more. And, you know, I think any, every coach has their favourites. Um, to an extent, uh, and I think he, um, I, I kind of felt like when, when it was kind of announced that Hrustich wouldn't be fit, and uh, I I was pretty sure it would probably be Riley McGree. I've never really been a big Riley McGree enthusiast, but I, given, you know, how Graham Arnold used him, how McGree had played in the last friendly against New Zealand, I was expecting Riley McGree to be there. I personally would have loved to have seen Cam Devlin, uh, although I do appreciate that throwing a guy who's played one game for the soccer into a World Cup game against France and, uh, you know, telling him to, you know, expecting him to tread water or thrive or whatever was, was probably not going to work. So I, I understood the rationale for Ryland McGree starting and um, it was always going to be Irvine and Moy with him in the absence of Hrustich. And, uh, yeah, it's I thought... 
it, it, it didn't go well. Um, I thought they started all right, and then uh, the wheels kind of came off, and they came off everywhere around the ground, to be fair. It wasn't just the midfield uh, dropped a stinker and everyone else was fine. Like Everyone just collectively had pretty poor games, I think. Uh, yeah. But the midfield probably didn't didn't help. And um, Aaron Moy, um, I'm sure we'll talk about his performance against Tunisia, but I thought against France he was pretty poor. And he's I've been kind of fully out of love with Aaron Moy for the last two, three years. Not that it was ever, you know, a powerful love or anything, but I've just noticed he uh, he's kind of over like his physical limitations have shown up as he has aged, which uh, you know, he he now it feels like he kind of takes too much time on the ball or he, he panics when he has time to just kind of uh, calm himself or when he is there are times where he's too calm and he needs to get the ball quicker and he just seems to be um, for someone who is such who does have this such a wide array of distribution and can be a really good passer, he frequently kind of makes bad decisions on the ball and shows a kind of lack of awareness of his surroundings when he receives. Uh, and I thought that really showed up against France and um, Jackson Irvine for all his forward threat, um, his ability to run box to box, his physical presence. Uh, I don't really think he's a great, uh, you know, I don't think he's great receiving the ball with his back to goal. Um, and I thought first 20 minutes, him, McGree and Moy were okay because France kind of sat off of us. And then as soon as they started to press us high, it kind of all fell apart and France just completely took over that game. And uh, I, I not really, I think Irvine, as, as amazing a human being as he is, I think he's one of the coolest soccerers we've ever had. Um, <laughs> uh, he just seems like an incredibly, uh, you know, intelligent human being, well-read, uh, a very modern soccerer for, I guess, for for Gen, for Gen Z, uh, I I think he does struggle kind of as a deeper midfielder because I don't think he's as comfortable on the ball. Uh, well, with his back to go, I think he's best when he is kind of gets the ball receiving forward and can kind of make those late runs into the box. And uh, against France, we didn't really have too many opportunities to. And when we actually did, I think Irvine hit the post as well. So, um, but. A lot of the other time of our pressing, he was just kind of game passing by. And the same with Riley McGree as well. I thought he showed a few nice touches early. And then as France took the other hand, him, Irvine and Moyer all just kind of chasing shadows, unfortunately. I mean, you look at the the France midfield and Australia's midfield has never been accused. No, no. (laughs) We've never been accused of being athletically gifted. And obviously Aaron Moyer's... Um, got the athleticism of a wet candle, but <clears throat> and that's probably at his physical peak, which was probably when he was at the Wanderers. I don't know. It's just yeah, been... well, when he was in the A League, he did. He was kind of a box to box player. Like at time, there are times in Melbourne City where I remember he would just get like he had this real big engine, and he would kind of be a real good kind of connecting player. He'd play a pass and he'd search forward. But I think as he when he went overseas to England, uh, kind of correlated or quite well that was around the time I think his athleticism dropped off for one reason or another and I don't think he was he you know very settled into that kind of deep lying or or maybe you know he settled into being more of a uh, a passing central midfielder at Huddersfield which is where he obviously got the pasty pillow uh nickname um yeah I remember a time where he wasn't his he wasn't uh, unathletic at all, but unfortunately, I think yeah, that was a long time ago, and uh, it definitely showed up against France. It's really sad when you like just as people get older, and I look, I realize shit. Aaron Moy is only a few years older than me, and like, yeah. is this 
Is this what I look like when I run? Because I know, I know, I know it's a different level of athleticism, like around you. But geez, do I look this slow when I'm just playing in my Sunday league? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, look, Ben. At least you've got more hair than Aaron Moy. I think uh, you can, there's, there's a victory for you. Uh yeah. I'm never going bald. If you've seen my lineage, if anything, it'll anyway. <laughs> uh, that's look. We have we have to have some physical wins. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I lack in general athleticism and strength in hamstring, I make up for in here. Um, I, I wanted to talk about McGree, though, because I think Moy and Irvine, their, their spots are in, they're locked in. They're in the squad. Absolutely. They're in the, yeah. the, the lineup, sorry. And McGree, we can talk about, you know, if he's not banging in six scorpions, then what's, what's he doing? But <laughs> like, I, I watched the France game and, even against Tunisia, like he had a couple of nice touches, but I struggled to like really determine what his role is in, in the side because he's not a guy that demands the ball to get on the ball and make things happen. That's pretty much Moyes' role and they like to play wide. But then he's also not really the guy that does those Irvine late runs into the box. He's just kind of there. And I know he's pretty much holding a place until they feel Hillstitch is yeah. fit enough from the go. But I mean, I watched those two games and and maybe it's just the, 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 the formation that Arnie went with, with playing those two further advanced midfielders, which is probably why he didn't want to go with, you know, Devlin from the start. He's probably more suited to sit in the middle of the park or even yeah. someone like Keanu Bacchus who's come off the bench in both, games so it is probably just you know out of necessity more than anything but yeah i watched those two games and i'm just like sitting there going well i like mcgree but like what, what's he what's he doing i i've struggled with riley mcgree for a while like i think even when he was at adelaide and and newcastle i actually think when he was at adelaide and newcastle he was very good at making those late runs into the box that was kind of his his calling card but i, I watched adelaide games and then Kind of be like, I haven't really seen McGree. He kind of doesn't really get it to feet that often. He just kind of picks up second balls every now and then. He's just not really doing much. And then he'd end up scoring and people would be like, Riley McGree's amazing. And I'm kind of like, okay, but what did he do apart from score? I know scoring is obviously a very, very, very important part of the game, but it feels like I was always kind of of the opinion that at a high level, he wouldn't be scoring as often. And then it's like, okay, if he's not scoring as often, then what is he going to bring to the team? And I think, I actually thought he was pretty good. The Tunisia game was one of the better games I've seen him play. Uh, He played that really nice ball out to, uh, was this? Goodwin. Yeah, yeah, Goodwin. Um, To uh, after Mitch Duke played that sumptuous touch. Uh, And I thought that was one of the better games I'd seen McGree play, but I still think that's the sort of game I want to see more often from him. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if I maybe went back and rewatched the game, I haven't had a chance to re sit down and reanalyze it yet. Uh, but I'm maybe I kind of in the moment it felt like McGree was good, but I do agree that I kind of watch him and have a similar feeling where I go, like I I, just, I see kind of the technical ability, I see the talent. It's not that he is like a bad player or anything. It's just I don't really I feel the ga- games passing by all too often and unless he's scoring he's not really uh offering a lot of value in terms of build-up play apart from you know uh like these kind of late runs that he used to do at Adelaide a lot and was really good at them but with Jackson Irvine 
in the team. And Jackson Irvine's really good at that. It feels like Mc, that's one of McGree's strengths and he's kind of not able to do it because, you know, if both Irvine and McGree are making these late runs, uh, then it leaves Aaron Moy very isolated. And given we've spoken about Moy's lack of athleticism at this stage of his career, it's, you know, it's a recipe for disaster if the ball kind of, uh, if the other team transitions very quickly. I guess one thing that works in McGree's favour is he's one of the few soccerers who's gotten consistent game time this season at club level at a, a reason, like the championship's championship, but it's still a pretty yeah. decent level. Absolutely. that, And, you know, and he, you know, like I said, he, we know that he had, he can, you know, he has that special something when it turns to go, when it comes to goals. We obviously all remember the scorpion kick uh, for Newcastle, which was, uh, you know, amazing and uh and brenton speed's commentary for that is just like it tattooed into my brain and it's, <laughs> it's an incredible call uh of that goal and then um i think like one of his last games in middlesbrough i'm pretty sure he scored like a ridiculous goal in that as well so he he can score he does kind of have these spectacular goals in his locker and like may, maybe against denmark we'll see that or something you know providing that he you know if he does play um by the sounds of it, Aiden Christich might start, although I'm pretty sure we're all thinking Aiden Christich would start against Tunisia. Um, I think Graham Arnold said in the lead-up, Christich was like 95% and the other 5% didn't matter because it was a World Cup or something. Uh, <laughs> and then and then Christich uh, didn't start, so that was kind of uh, interesting. And then I think when Christich came on against Tunisia, he was... He was he was good. I thought he was good, but you could definitely show he was not as sharp because he was obviously coming off a bit of an injury for Halas Verona. Uh, yeah, oh, but yeah, I did yeah. I did see a kind of like a couple of moments where I was like, oh, he's still got that frustage class that we're that kind of calmness and ability, just tidiness on the ball. Yeah, and I guess the it's not a worry because they did win, but you know maybe Arnie just goes, well, you know what, we won. Like what? Why even change it now? I'm jumping ahead to guessing the lineup for the Denmark game, but there's a small part of me that goes, "Well, is there really a reason to change it up now?" Well, it's very interesting because Graham Idols has kind of shown faith in his players for a long time. He's very loyal to his play players, and uh, you know, for all the uh, the criticism of Graham Idols, you know, tactically, which I think is quite valid. He seems to have cultivated a really good atmosphere within the team, and the, the players really seem to like Graham Arnold, even if the kind of the outside perception of Arnie is that he's a bit stubborn, that he kind of maybe is a bit out of his depth tactically, that he kind of has this siege mentality. Uh, you know, it's me and my guys against the world. The players seem to really love Graham Arnold. I think that speaks a lot to him as a as a man manager. So, I, you know, I occasionally hear stories about so-and-so saying, you know, oh, um, or there, you hear rumours about players who aren't in the soccer squad and it's like, oh, because Arnie didn't like them. But you, I mean, by all accounts, this, the vibes within the squad are pretty damn good and have been really good for a long time. And I think that is a uh, testament to Graham Arnold, to be honest. Like, for all, you know, the, I think there's valid criticism. I think he does do some things really, really well. And Maybe it's kind of the off the pitch stuff that he excels at, but that stuff's still really important. And you know, I think if this soccer team arrived in Qatar and had uh, a bit of a a bad, you know, had, and things weren't right in the camp, I don't think we're winning that Tunisia game. Maybe that France was even worse. 
and you know Arnie deserves credit for that. Uh, you know, we like you said, um, we didn't really change much from the first game apart between you know France, the France and um, Tunisia lines were pretty much the same apart from Nathaniel Atkinson missed out with a with an ankle issue. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Arnie just rolls with the same starting eleven. I'd like to see him maybe try rotate players, uh, given the the schedule is so jam packed and it's in the middle of the season. I think um, in Russia, teams in the group stage had four days between games, whereas here they have three. So it's you know I think rotation would be good, but on the other hand, it's like well, this is a do or die game. Do you really want to be rotating out players who? might need a rest, but like if you don't win this game, then you're going home anyway. So it's uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting uh, point of discussion, I think. And I think uh, I, I kind of back Arnie to kind of know his players best in this situation. Okay, riddle me this then. If the vibes are so immaculate, then why is Christian Valpardo not in the squad? Well, that is, uh, yeah, well, I mean, Arnold obviously wanted him. He extended the olive branch to him, I think, three times. Uh I think Volpato is uh, someone who seems to be, I think he's very unsure of his identity. I think he, maybe he feels I, I'm not the Christian Volpato, so I can't speak for him. But if I had to guess, I'd say he has a bit of an identity. You know, he's still trying to figure out who he is, whether he's more Australian or Italian or more Italian than Australian. And, you know, the way he's playing at the moment, he obviously feels like, he can he could potentially get into that Italian team at some point in the future. Um, uh, you know the way he started this season in Syria ah um, has been pretty amazing. I you know I spoke to someone who kind of watched a fair bit of him and he you know was previously quite well I wouldn't say low on Volpato but I don't think he thought he was like this you know this generational talent that was kind of uh, that some people on Twitter had kind of spoken into existence. But even he was you know telling me he was surprised at how well. Volpato had started, his form was really good. You know, he p- kind of passes the eye test as well. It is a real shame he he did he de- declined Arnold's invitation to come to Qatar. But again, you know, he would have been he would have been a newcomer as well. And you know, maybe if he'd experienced the Socceroos camp before then, maybe he would have gone, you know what? Actually I do want to be part of this group. I do want to represent Australia at the World Cup. But yeah, I guess, I guess we'll never know. I do hope we see him in a soccer jersey at some point in the future. Uh, but, you know, I, most importantly, I hope uh, Christian Volpato is, you know, is happy with himself. And I hope he's he ends up choosing something which, you know, where, if he chooses to play for Italy, um, I hope it works out for him. Because, you know, what we don't want is, you know, uh, someone being locked down, locked into Italy and then changing their mind and then go, going, oh, I want to play for soccer now. I realised it, but... Uh, I can't because I'm already tied to Italy and uh, cup tied and whatnot. Let me let me tell you, as an Italian Australian after 2006, it was no fun being an Italian. So, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> uh, it was somehow my fault. But Lucas Neal tripped over that. Um, Lucas Neal fell over, uh, and then Xavier Grosso fell over afterwards over his prone body. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Also, it's it's not like it's. Now that the World Cup's expanding next next time, but it's no guarantee Italy makes the World Cup. You know the last two. I know they won the Euros in between, which is hilarious. But yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, you'd think with forty eight teams, 
uh, the extra 16 teams coming in, you'd think Italy couldn't stuff this up. You'd think that, wouldn't you? But, uh, yeah, it has been, you know, I think that my favourite means of this World Cup have been um, uh, the, all the kind of, and here's where Italy will be watching these games from. And, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> I did see one the other day. It was a, um, a pub uh, which said, it said it was showing the World Cup, but only Scotland versus Italy. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, one thing I think, and it ties into, I guess, Harry Kewell on commentary as well, because it got hammered in when he was talking about it. But I did, I agree with everything he was saying during the France game was just the, I mean, if he, if that man saw another backwards pass, he was going to have an aneurysm live on air, but, and I get like France, they dominate possession and it's kind of hard to play the way you'd ideally like to play just because, you know, you can't really play with the ball if you haven't got the ball. But it seemed like when we did have the ball in those moments in the second half, especially, you know, before it got to that 3-1, 4-1 stage, there just seemed like a bit of an acceptance to sit back and not really be too adventurous. And, you know, and what Kiel was saying about how by not really pressing and not making the French defence work and this, that and the other when we did have the ball, they were just fresh as and ready to to press us because they just hadn't had to work. And, you know, I, I, I found myself like being, you know, like when your dad's like watching sport, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's making a lot of good points here. And you're like, come on, Boomer. But like, that was me. Like, I, I was like, yeah, Harry, tell him. Like, run in behind, do something, just take a risk. You're down 2-1. It's better to lose 4-1 having a crack than to lose 2-1, you know, hiding. Yeah, yeah, and um, I really enjoyed Jules' insight of the commentary box. You can tell he's really, really raw, but I think the tactical now that he kind of, that he displays when he's commentating on games is a really good thing. Uh, I, I quite like listening to him. I like the passion. I think there's a chance it kind of verges on being a bit too biased. Like, I, I much prefer Craig Foster as an, as an analyst than a co-commentator where he, you know, as we all are fuzzy, but as a commentator, he does get way too wrapped up into the game. And, you know, <laughs> I remember the 2010, well, 2014 World Cup where he's calling, like, the players by the first names, like, Timmy, Timmy, oh, Timmy's so good in the air. And it's like, Craig, mate, come on. You're, you're meant to be being professional here. I know you love the team and we love the passion, but it's a bit kitschy that you're, like, referring to the players by their first names here. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, although you know, I think since 2014, Foz's popularity has just skyrocketed for uh, a lot of very valid reasons. He's a very impressive human being, and um, I even just watching him at this World Cup, I was watching the Spain Germany game yesterday morning, or uh, well, uh, Monday or Tuesday morning. I forget which it's Tuesday today, isn't it? It's Monday morning. The days mean uh, nothing. Yeah, I know. Time is a uh, flat circle, as Matthew McConaughey may say. Uh, but yeah, I remember like like watching Fozzy analyze the goals from Germany and Spain. It's like this guy's such a good analyst, and um, maybe you know he maybe co-commentary wasn't the best use of his talents because he gets too kind of wrapped up in it. And it's kind of the same for Harry Kuehl, I think. Uh, Kuehl's kind of got the excuse that he's very raw; he hasn't really commentated too much before. Um, but I I quite like seeing Harry Kuehl, and I completely agreed with him during the, the France game where it's like, it's not as simple as 
press them and we will win. And it's like, yes, France is so superior to the Socceroos. I don't know what like the correct tactic was, but I know it wasn't sitting back and in like in the way that they did. And when they were two one down at half time, and they basically came back and if anything they said they didn't change anything and if anything they sat deeper. And you know, inviting the likes of Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann and Usman Dembele to run at you by sitting so deep that they have time and space to actually get up a full head of steam is not a very good tactic because those guys are very good at running at, you know, defences when they're given time and space. Um, and so it just played into France's hands. Like, I don't think Schumann and Rabiot were anything special for France in that game, but they just had so much time and space that they were able to just kind of knock the ball between them, out to the wings, get the ball back, knock it out to the other one, and just dragged Australia's uh, defensive structure all over shops. And then you saw these... The, you know, the holes open and then you know the defense is tired while the you know French are just so well rested because they're not having to move as much and yeah it was uh it it was it was a pretty big own metaphorical own goal which uh almost resulted in an actual own goal um and did result in four French goals uh and you know it did feel you know for Arnie said before the World Cup, you know, he talked about Aussie DNA and, you know, taking the game to the opponent and, you know, not, not backing down. Well, against France, it felt like we did back down. It did feel like we took a backward step and were kind of cowed by them, especially after the opening 20 minutes when we actually, you know, we were, we were playing pretty well. And then, obviously, France started pressing us, which I was kind of surprised they didn't do for the opening 20 minutes. And as soon as they started pre- pressing us, we were under pressure, but then we kind of didn't really have a counterpunch to them pressing us. So it was like, well, like we didn't really have an outlet up front because, you know, Mitch Duke was so isolated and, you know, he's not, he's not like the quickest of players in behind. He, he's a, he's a battering ram of a striker and he's, you know, maybe not the most cultured of strikers uh, in terms of technical ability. He's you. not going to, yeah. Although he did, you know, as someone who has been very anti Mitch Duke and said, I don't think he should be playing for the Socceroos, he did sure show me on um, on Saturday night and I couldn't be happier for him. I'm glad you mentioned the Aussie DNA during that um, because I, I wrote a little something on beyondthefence.com.au. Check it out. Hashtag sponsored because I can sponsor myself. Um, and I spoke about, like, it seems like it's the narrative with every... Australian sporting team is it's the, very kitschy, isn't it? It's like the Aussie DNA. Like, yeah. It's the Aussie battler mentality. It's us against them. Yeah, we rely on passion and hard work, and you know, it's the, accompanied by the soundtrack of Cold Chisel and Midnight yeah, whenever we talk about it. And, yeah, like beds are yeah. burning, Kason, all that stuff, and it's like, it's great. I don't mind it. Like, I don't. It's a good thing to rally around, but it's also like, at some point, you need more than that, and. Exactly. Uh, My main argument was like, this this is the World Cup. Like, you're not going to win a game purely on passion and like loving your country because, like, newsflash, everyone, everyone, yeah, at the World Cup, like, everyone, except maybe Hakim Ziyech, who like hates Morocco, but he still plays for them. But like, everyone, he helped him beat Belgium the other day as well. Yeah, true. He had a great game. But like, Everyone loves their country. Everyone's passionate. You're not going to out-passion exactly. a country like at the, the World Cup. The Brazilians are coming with Brazilian DNA. The Spanish are coming with Spanish DNA. The Koreans are coming with Korean DNA. Like, yeah, and I was like, my, not to... The World Cup is just like 
everyone like everyone it's just a mess of dna everywhere yeah exactly it's uh you know that petri dish is uh is uh (laughs) oh jesus um but like i I, not to pat my own back but i I thought i came with a snappy line where it's like the stereotypes in the france game the stereotypes were flipped and like we surrendered you know to a point (laughs) that that would that would make the french blush um (laughs) Not, no, not, no offense to any French people out there, but like, does Beyond the Fence have a big reach in uh, in France? Uh maybe not Fr- Canada. That's pretty French. French Canada. I don't know if it's French Canada, but you know, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll have to look at the geo stats after this and see if I've got any angry Frenchmen in my emails. But like, yeah, the, the point was like, yeah, you can talk about your, your Aussie dinner and it speaks to what you said before about fostering that camp mentality, that siege mentality that Arnie seems to be so good at doing. And there is value in that. I'm not saying there isn't, but there's value in that up until you're losing, you know, three nil every game in the World Cup, like we did in 2018, or, you know, we shipped nine goals and we hadn't scored an open play goal since that Tim Cahill volley before the yeah. Goodwin goal. And you know, he hadn't won a game since the Serbia one in 2010. And it's just like moral victories suck. Yeah. Um, After a while, like they're okay every now and then, but you know, all you've got is our moral victories. You know, like moral victories at the end of a season don't get you any points. Yeah. I mean, like I go for the Lions in the NFL and I don't know if you're familiar with like, anyone listening, they bloody suck. And they've sucked for like, 50, they've won one playoff game in 50 years. There's no more moral victory like franchise in all the sport than the Detroit Lions. And that's like the, the vibe I was getting about like, oh, you, well, it's not that they're happy to be there, that soccer is, because that's not true. Because, you know, they always speak about wanting to, you know, the job to do. And you see all the videos like, uh, I was going to say Millie Edmack, Milos Degenek, you know, pumping the boys up before the Tunisia game. And it's like, you know, leave everything out there. We'll drag you off the pitch. Um so I guess in that respect, and I wrote this before the Tunisia game, and it was actually good to see a little bit of, you know, substance to that, a little bit of actual footballing, you know, nous and tactics and more than just um, yelling and crying when you're singing the anthem and getting the words wrong because you forget that they replaced one and a young and free with one and free and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we're a long way. I've, I haven't seen any of the current soccerers bring back what Lucas Neal used to do, where he always used to have the hand over the heart of the uh, of the, the coat of arms. That was always his, uh, you know, I guess that was his Aussie DNA showing um, during Advanced Australia Fair. But um, I, it was kind of funny, though, like you say Aussie DNA doesn't win games, but like against Tunisia, it kind of did. Like it really, really <laughs> I know, it like, really proved me wrong. I didn't like it. It was like, I, cause I wrote before the tournament, it was like, Pretty much exactly what you said. Like Aussie DNA is great, but it, like Aussie DNA doesn't win you games. Um, and against France, I was like, "Well, I showed at Graham Arnold." And then after the Tunisia game, I'm like, "Crap, maybe he had a point because I think we just won that game through like pure like guts and determination." And holy crap, maybe he's actually onto something here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you see all the Aussie DNA coming out in big Harry Sutar with that chase yeah. down. The the most distra- uh yeah the, the the most Aussie DNA coming from the uh, six foot seven Scottish guy. Exactly. Uh, before we go into the, there was one other thing I wanted to touch on, and I guess it kind of blends the both games. But I thought after the France game, there was maybe two changes I would have made 
going into this year. One of them was obviously uh, starting Aiden Krustich for Riley McGree. Um, I also, I, like, I know this was without knowing he was injured, but I I would have, like, I thought Atkinson, and it's Killian Mbappe, so I recognize that, but I yeah. thought he, he had a shocker against France and I would have given, because I just think I, I would have started Karacic because I think, you know, going into what I was saying and what Harry Kuehl was saying about, you know, trying to be a little bit more positive. And I think Karacic offers that little bit more. He might not be as solid defensively as Atkinson in theory is, you know, if you ignore the the tape against, you know, Mbappe. But I think he offers a little bit more going forward. And then I was kind of umming and ahhing about maybe starting McLaren over Mitch Duke, but that one was kind of a toss-up. Like, I'd take it or leave it, you know. I, I was just kind of worried that maybe... If we wanted to win a game against Tunisia, then maybe a hold-up play style of striker like Mitch Duke wouldn't have been the right choice. And well, that was obviously proven wrong, but <laughs> that was like my thinking behind it. Like if you want to play him behind, maybe you don't start that traditional target man. But yeah, proven wrong. But I think yeah. Karic at, at worst needed to start ahead of Atkinson before I knew he was hurt. Yeah, and I it was weird because I actually thought. Karic played all right, but everyone on Twitter seemed to say he was like having a nightmare. Um, I was oh, kind I... of watching it. I was <laughs> watching it um, with some friends and like had kind of a, I was having a couple of drinks and I had like pizza. was like, so, and whilst I was also trying to like smash out player ratings for work, um, <laughs> which was a very, it was like, it was actually really hard to focus on. Everything. Everyone gets a 10. Everyone gets a yeah. 10. I, because I gave characters just six or, I was, Tossing up 26 or a 7 and then kind of remembering seeing everyone uh, kind of give him kind of a bit of grief on social media. I kind of went, oh, it's probably a 6. But it was, I found it really hard to like focus, like re- as, like re- really focus on the game as I normally would because I just had all these other distractions. And, um, You're pissed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd only had that. I'd only had two beers at that point. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, you, you were pissed. <laughs> yeah, I remember my first beer. <laughs> um, that- but yeah, it was. Um, I, I agree. I would have, but after the um, France game, Nathan Atkinson, God bless him. Um, he just, it wasn't his fault. He got thrown in the deep end. He did the best he could. He just got eviscerated by not just Kylian Mbappe, but Teo Hernandez as well, who I thought was incredible in that France game. Yeah, um, true. And, um, you know, his brother going off of that torn ACL, as sad as it was, I thought actually was a really pivotal but, moment. Because that's what Teo, everyone says. Everyone, everyone's saying, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't realise they were brothers. It makes complete sense <laughs> now. But, um, you know, I haven't seen much of Teo because I don't really watch any Serie A and he obviously wasn't in the squad last World Cup for France, but Lucas was. And I remember just calling Lucas a diving prick every time we played him. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought, like, yeah, Teo was amazing going forward. And it, it helps when you've got Mbappe on the same wing as you. Maybe that creates extra space, but... Yeah, like he was a game changer. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you've seen the Denmark game as well, but the first Mbappe goal is just an incredible one-two between Hernandez and Mbappe, and it's just it happens so quickly that it's like, yeah, wait, what happened? Like even the, the Danish players were still watching Teo Hernandez, <laughs> and the ball had gone past him to Mbappe, which you know shouldn't be called ball watching, but also I can kind of understand it because <laughs> the fluidity and chemistry between those two is just insane, and. Um, yeah. yeah, like I came out of that fast game going, Jesus Christ, Tohanan was incredible. And, you know, like him and Bappe and Dembele just completely tore us to shreds every time they got on the ball, which, you know, they're world-class players. It's not a surprise. Um, uh, yeah, and I thought, so yeah, going back to the original point, um, yeah, I was 
definitely in favour of Karacic starting. I think Karacic will start against in the third game against Denmark. Um, I don't know what I haven't heard any update on Atkinson's ankle. I don't know how bad it is. Um, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if either of them started. Uh, but yeah, well, I guess I guess we'll see. I wonder if there's an element of protecting Atkinson from the media. Like, oh, he's actually hurt. So, like, you know, I doubt that's true. But, you yeah, know, it's all, the, conspir- the tinfoil, in, it's always in the back of my mind. But going back to the original Karacic points that you made of not knowing uh, or, like, you know, struggling to judge his game and then remembering the people on the... I think I was one of those people on the internet who... I thought he, I thought he started the game very poorly. I thought, like... I think he gave the ball away like his first three or four times, like sloppy passing or just like a hopeful cross. Um, you know, not not really any plan. I think he definitely got better in the game, and I think a six is probably fair enough in the end. But yeah, I think his start of the game. I think I said it to some friends. I was just like, oh my god, he somehow started worse than Atkinson. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I he definitely grew into the game. I think that was my my main takeaway was that he grew into the game. Um, uh, yeah, like, again, he's one of those players, because he, he plays in Serie B, I don't really get to watch him. He comes with, a guess, a bit of a higher pedigree than Nathaniel Atkinson or, uh, you know, Thomas Deng or Milos, even Milos Degenek to an extent, um, who, you know, can play right back. So, I mean, in a way, I kind of wouldn't be just surprised if any of all those four players start against Denmark. Uh, may, like, maybe Deng would be the most surprising, but in a, I could also just see Arnie going, just deciding to flip the script and... Tried Deng there. Uh, Deng was really good in the second friendly against New Zealand uh, that we won in uh, in Auckland. I was I came out of that game being really impressed with Thomas Deng, uh, who I think has just been he may have just got helped get his team promoted to the J League or basically I believe so. in J two. Yeah, it sounds so, right. Yeah, he's he's going to be playing in J League next year, hopefully, and hopefully he's playing regularly in the J League. Um, I always liked him when he was at Melbourne Victory. Uh, it's and I that was kind of reinforced by watching him against New Zealand. Admittedly, it's you know it's New Zealand, but Dang was probably man of a match in that game. Yeah, um, and yeah, they his team came first in J two. So yeah. Also, yeah, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia. He had a spell at Young PSV. Didn't know that. There you go. Pedigree. Yeah, I, yeah, he was one of those players like a Craig Goodwin went over to Sparta Rotterdam like a couple of years earlier, and I kind of always. Forget that because I know in my mind Craig Goodwin went overseas, but I just completely forgot the fact he was in like the Netherlands for a couple of years. I feel like you haven't had an Australian football career if you haven't at least spent like one season over in either Netherlands or Scotland. Or, or Belgium as well. I remember Belgium was like the next kind of place. Like, like Matt Ryan was in Belgium. Danny Vukovic was in Belgium. Yep. Uh, I believe like there's a few other guys. That's like, two. <laughs> I feel I want to say James Holland, but I think he was in Austria. No, he was at um, yeah, he was at Rapid Vienna, I think. Yes, and there I like I'm thinking Paul Oakland. Obviously, Paul Oakland like way, way before Ryan or Vukovic, but um, yeah, but Holland was like like Scotland is the new Holland. I feel like that's where all the uh, Australians are going overseas. It used to be Holland because it's such a technical league. And then what was happening was all the players were coming back after two, three years and back, we're back in the A-League and people were like, well, well, this hasn't worked, so we need a new location. And I guess it's, I guess it's now Scotland. Yeah. Um, Holland did play a, a season on loan for Rotterdam. You're right. Okay. No, I, 
Yeah, I, I knew he was definitely, he definitely spent time in Austria. I couldn't remember if it was Belgium or Holland as well, but there you go. And apparently he also signed for AZ. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he played. He was three years at AZ. Oh, and, yeah, that's right. And yeah. played all of zero games for them. That's really sad. That's really sad when you see, hear those stories of those Australian players who do well in the A-League and they just go overseas and barely get any game time and struggle to adapt. And it's just, it feels like it's a waste of potential in some ways. Like, I mean, not from not from a playing point of view, like not from the point that they haven't gone over and given their all, but it's just more of a shame that they, they're obviously talented and just haven't been able to cut it overseas for one reason or another. And, yeah. Um, you know, the A-League is, you know, is, is starting to produce some good players. But I remember Mark Schwarzer ages ago saying it was a bit of a, he thought it was a bit of a safety net for players, for young Australians, because they were just able to come back to the A-League, whereas his generation, there was nothing because the NSL was like, with a, yeah, the NSL just wasn't a place to be for a young up-and-coming Australian you know, yeah. player who wanted to advance their career. As many, you know, like obviously, you know, you had the like Vita, uh, Mark Viduka and Joseph Skoko who were stars in the NSL and then went overseas. But it wasn't a place where you, you couldn't be there for that long if you wanted to be a big, long, you know, if you wanted to have a long career in Europe, you had to make that take that plunge. And uh, because they didn't have that safety net, they all just had to stick it out in Europe and, you know, it did pay, it paid dividends for them. Um, I don't think it's just like the only reason why Australian players, you know, we, why we don't haven't had like a second golden generation or even a silver generation to that point of view. But uh, uh, I do think like his point was kind of like people got really mad at the time when he said it, but I do think there's like an element of truth about what he said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even like Arzani now, like there's an example. Yeah. Yeah. And like the Arzani one sucks because he went over to Celtic and did his ACL like first game for them so that was like you know maybe maybe Celtic wasn't the league for him maybe he would like if he had stayed fit uh and hadn't done his knee he would have you know uh and his Scotland reign would have still not gone well but it is a big sliding doors moment and uh you know he obviously had a pretty torrid time in Europe but seeing him come back to the A-League this season and just show like oh look we have a young Australian player who's still like has his best years ahead of him who likes to take people on and he's very good at taking people on. And yes, he's still a bit inconsistent with his final product, but far out. I like watching him play. I like the fact he tries to take the game to opponents. Uh, we need more, we need more players like Arzani because, you know, like we just, like Australia really likes players who are just able to glide past players effortlessly. Yeah. Um, although uh, having said that, Matthew, like he did, absolutely destroy Hernandez in the lead up to Goodwin's goal against France. <laughs> yes, broke, he, his, broke his ankle and like very regrettably wrecked his knee in the same le- le- Legitimately, yeah, like crossed him up. Um, I guess the final point on this segue that we've somehow found ourselves in, would you have taken Arzani to the World Cup? Because there was some chat about that. Yeah, there was. I, I didn't, when I kind of looked at I I think it was transfer market who were kind of giving people the ability to kind of make their own 26 man squads for the World Cup. I did it and I didn't have a place for Arzani. I, I think he's a great player. I think he's gonna have it I really hope he has a good second you know end to the A League season. Uh he's like like I said earlier, he just has that kind of he wants to take the game on. He wants to beat people 
we need more players of the ilk of Daniel Arzani in the A-League just for the fact that, you know, he can go past people, that he can beat people, that he can dribble with the ball. Uh, I, I wouldn't have taken him. I said um, I would have taken Tilio had Boyle not been fit. And when Boyle was named and Tilio wasn't, I was like, well, Boyle's obviously going to... Um, Boyle's obviously fit enough to play. And then, and then funnily enough, um, Tilio gets the call up when Boyle uh, is unable to get on the... Uh, you know, is unable to pass fit, which was, you know, really sad for Martin Ball. Sounds like a really good dude. And I'm very glad they're kind of keeping him around the squad as a vibes curator uh, for the <laughs> Qatar run. Yeah. And you saw, I assume you saw the, the thing today, right? Like it, he's apparently had a knee injury just like undetected for six or six odd years. Yeah. That's, um, that's uh, that's very concerning. As someone who is always worrying about the state of their knees, but and occasionally has like weird kind of oh my knee doesn't feel right, but it's not causing me pain. That's very concerning for me. But if he's, uh, I'm hoping I don't have the same affliction as him. Um, well, is your meniscus oversized and keeping everything in check? Because that was his validation for it. I might I might need to uh, I might need to see a physio or, or get some X-rays to uh, answer that question. Yeah, I just I was watching the thing today. I watched him, and I was just like. How, how on earth? But anyway, yeah. um, <clears throat> to the Tunisia game, we actually, Aussie DNA won it for us. We did. It was, it did. It was great. Uh, I, th- I think it's important to note a key assist for the referee to trip the Tunisian central midfielder. Riders Duki was playing that touch out to Riley McGree, um, which I'm actually surprised Fade Ben Kalfla didn't like react to on commentary because <laughs> i know if that was if that was me reacting to like if in the same situation i would have been going off i'd I be like i've seen that but now you mention it i do remember thinking the rest a bit close to a play here like i've actually if i i didn't realize he actually tripped the midfielder but i do remember kind of why i think i'm not suggesting he's stuck that he had money on Mitchuk <laughs> first goal scorer but yeah, you, you watch the replay, and I forget who the snitching guy. Maybe it's Laidouni, whoever it is. Yeah, well, yeah, he, like the the refs like turning to react and run back towards goal. Like his legs a little bit outstretched, and, <laughs> and the bloke just yeah running through just stumbles over it, and he oh, doesn't no. like he doesn't fall, but he like stumbles, and that's that half second, and McGree's out. Yeah. And um, I, and like, I'm yeah. watching that, and I'm thinking like, why is there not a bigger reaction to this? Because it's. <laughs> Like I don't know what the ref can really do. Like you can't. He didn't touch the ball. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Yeah. But yeah. That, yeah. Go on. Oh no! Just because even the the Tunisian guy reacted to it, he turned around like and kept running, but he turned around like, "Oi, mate, what, what are you doing? Like get out of the way!" And then he kept yeah. going. But yeah, I'm so, like I saw that and I was like, "Oh, VAR is going to intervene." <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you haven't seen it. No, I'll, I'm going to have to go back and watch it now. Um. But it's, it's, it's funny you said the rest may have had money on a Mitchell Duke header because Liam Barn, I think his name is, uh, he writes for The Athletic. He did these amazing um, tactical breakdowns of every team of the tournament before the World Cup. Mm-hmm. He said before the Tunisia game, um, he put money on a Mitch Duke-like header because that's the only way I see any goals being scored in this game. I think I did see that after and the game, he, and he, I was annoyed. He took a bit of a victory lap. Well, yeah, he took a bit of a victory lap in the aftermath. Um, <laughs> uh, and look, I mean, like pretty much all our goals have come for 
the last time we scored a goal, which wasn't a set piece or, you know, wasn't Brett Holman's like wonder strike against Serbia. They've all been crosses. Like all of Cahill's goals in 2014 were from crosses. And like, uh, all our goals in 2018 were getting back penalties. So yep, exactly. And then like the Goodwin, the Goodwin goal was a cross. Uh, the Duke goal was a cross. So like, in a way, it's uh, as Jose Mourinho would say, it's uh, football heritage. It is. <laughs> I actually saw someone saying that the blue jerseys reminded him of like the terrible rash tops our parents made us wear at the yeah. beach. So that is football I've heritage. This, I've been saying this as soon as they released it. I was like, why have they given us a rash vest for an away jersey? I'll be honest. I didn't like, like uh, when the jerseys came out. I said, mate, home kit, take my money. Away kit, no one buys the away kit, so it's fine. I don't really care. Like, We've had some good away kits in the past, though. Like, I was wearing one, the 2010 away kit. You know, it's kind of like the, the blue and the yellow line, like the horizontal yellow line and the darker blue. I actually quite like, quite like... I vaguely that. remember it. But my point is, like, no, no one really buys the away kit as much, so I'm not too... Like, I'm not going to. Yeah. So I'm not too fussed about it. But I, I watched it, and I think it looks all right live. I think it looked better in person than I was expecting it. But I'm also a little bit annoyed because maybe they'll be superstitious and wear it against Denmark. <laughs> I think, well, you don't see it close up as much because you're watching the game from afar. So I feel like that's why you kind of don't. Well, that's why I didn't notice it as much. I didn't notice the kind of, uh, it looks like a bit of a bib, doesn't it? It's a weird one. I mean, blue with green trim, it's not really a great combination. No, no. Although I did I did enjoy someone, like someone having a meltdown on Twitter being like, oh, have the PC woke mob t- cancelled green and gold? Now, why don't we play green and gold? It's almost like it's the away kit champion. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I saw a similar tweet and just the, the people in the comments just going, ratio, hold this L. Yeah. <laughs> wait, till he, wait till he hears that the goal came, Mitch Duke's goal came from the left wing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and the first goal was scored by a left winger. I know, yes. Speaking is, of... Is no, Craig Goodwin going to get cancelled by like the, by the far right? I hope not because, like I was just about to say, I think he's probably been our player of the tournament across the two games. Uh, I, he's been, he has been pretty solid. Um, I know I know Harry was immense yeah, against I, Tunisia, but he was also but, really bad against France. Yeah, and I, you know, he probably wasn't... That was his first kind of major hit out. You know, since coming back from AC, I mean, it was only his second game back from an ACL tear, so you can kind of understand. I thought Sudo was all right against France, where he definitely did get caught out for at least one of the goals and probably could have defended yeah. one of the others a bit better. Um, I think Goodwin's been pretty solid. Uh, I think Lecky, Matthew Lecky, who I've been saying has kind of been declining for the last like couple of years, I think he's been really good at this tournament. Um, you know, well, we're about to have a disagreement. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Against France, the goal aside, I mean, he he works hard against France. He was always fighting a bit of a losing battle. I thought his work rate against Tunisia was excellent. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not really gonna document anything for what he did against France. I thought he was all right against France. I think he was all right against Tunisia as well. I'm not saying he was bad, but there, was, uh, I, I don't know why I was so hyper aware of this, but I counted, and maybe I have read the game all wrong, and I was just seeing things live that weren't there. But I could swear to you that there were at least two or three occasions where Lecky had the ball 
running forward into space and he had an open runner on the wing and he delayed the pass a step too long and killed attacks. And I was just losing my shit. And like, there was one where he like, he took an extra step and then he passed the ball and he passed it behind the wingers so that it all slowed down. And he had another one where I think it was later in the game and, you know, Tunisia were pressing and there was heaps of space in behind. And I forget who it was, but he just delayed the release and it just screwed everything up again. And then Harry Kuehl was saying, I reckon Lex is my man of the match. I was losing my mind because I was just thinking about all these counter attacks that he'd blown. And maybe I've completely like seen the wrong thing, but I do not endorse. The, I will have to watch for that in the Denmark game, man, because I, I, def- I didn't notice that. Um, I'm sure at some point I'm going to get around to rewatching the two DC game. Um, maybe it'll be after World Cup, but I'll definitely be looking for that now. Um, what I will say, they were also sometimes like he made a really good run into space and he was just ignored, and you could kind of see him kind of throw his hands up in frustration because uh, he was like wide open and no one managed to get the ball to him. But um, yeah, I, I didn't see. That. I'm going to have to go back and keep an eye out for it. It's, it's, all, it's always good when we have a point of contention on the show because some, yeah, people, some yeah. people say, "Oh, you just agree with each other all the time." <laughs> I think he's going to be really important in Denmark for reasons I'm sure we'll get to after the Tunisia game. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, there's not really much more to say in the Tunisia game. We, You know, the Aussie DNA yeah. won. I think it was good. Harry that... Sutar was uh, immense. Um, oh, yeah. I know Duke, yeah, Duke, Duke got man of the match probably because he scored the goal. But like yeah. for, for me, Harry Sutar was the like the clear man of the match. Yeah. And I thought Kai Rolls, you know, I, I, people obviously will make fun of him for getting falconed by the ball and almost costing us a goal. But I thought Kai Rolls was pretty solid. I think the one time Sutar made a mistake, Rolls swept up quite yep. well. Yep. Um, I thought Moy was far better against Tunisia, probably because he wasn't pressed as much. And, you know, he just seemed to make better decisions, had more time on the ball and was able to actually kind of exert a bit more influence over play, which is really nice to see because I hadn't seen him play that well for the soccerers in a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought Goodwin and Leckie were pretty solid on wings. Duke, um, you know, I said before the tournament, his touch is very bad, but his work ethic is immense. Uh, his touch, he had the best touch of his career to, to help. <laughs> kind of, that ball from Sutar, I mean, ball from Sutar was excellent to pick him out. And then that touch is just incredible from Duke. That's really tough to do. And then you saw his work ethic with that kind of lung bursting run he made into the box. And then that header was just, um, he, he's always been good at the air pitch, Duke. And that header was just, you know, he just, the way he was able to contort his body and also just read the deflection in real time and realize, oh, this, I just need to kind of like loop this header and direct it kind of towards the corner and might be on a chance. It's just a very well taken goal. And yeah, um, yeah I, I'm always happy for, like I said this to, I think on radio on Monday, like I'm, if people I, who I've kind of been critical of prove me wrong, I'm always really happy about that. I'm not going to hold grudges against people because I've said they're crap in the past. It's like, hey, like Mitch Duke was really good. That's the best I've seen him play for soccer, is it? Oh, I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I'd rather be wrong at the benefit of the national yeah, team than be right absolutely. and we suck. Yeah, at 100%. Um, it's also a win-win. Like I'm right or we're yeah. good. I also thought Jamie McLaren was really good off the bench when Tunisia was strict, were kind of chasing the game. And it was like the perfect game for McLaren to come onto where he can just run in behind and use his pace. And he, um, that ball we played for Leckie, which was like inches away from a goal, was yeah. like, that, that was like, this is a Jamie McLaren I want to see. He struggles against like deep blocks because, you know, he, that's not his strength. His strength is running behind counterattacks. And with Tunisia kind of chasing, like on the attack, it was it was a, the perfect call from Arnie, and 
Um, I thought McLaren was really good. So again, like Arnie got his sub like spot on there. Yeah, I, I did appreciate the you know mixing it up and bringing on um, McLaren instead of Cummings for this one and giving Hrustich some run. You know, I, I did think maybe there was space uh, to bring on Quoll instead of Mabil. And I think when Mabil came on, he was a little bit lost. Like, yeah, I, maybe I said, that lack it, of game time. He, yeah, because he he got a lot of it. yeah he got a lot of criticism. I thought for. Ultimately, what was like what a ten-minute cameo? Yeah, but, and one one really bad touch, which could have been yeah. the difference. Which you know, it could have, could have been the difference between two 0 and one 0 Um, yeah, he struggled to make an impact against France as well, but that kind of wasn't his fault. Um, yeah, I definitely love to see Goranski kind of if if we're like yeah, like I don't know, like if we're one 0 up, I kind of would love to see Goranko just come on and just. Hurt, try and hurt them because I think the worry with Garang from Arnold's point of view is maybe he's not going to be as diligent tracking back uh, defensively as you know some of the other wingers. But Matt, if we one, if we somehow find ourselves one 0 up, where we've effectively kind of got a two goal cushion, Denmark will need to score twice to you know, to qualify. Like that's kind of a perfect game for, for Garang to come on because there's less pressure, and even if they do score, it's kind of not quite the end of the world. You're making me nervous just talking about it now. I know. <laughs> I've been. I've gone from. I like before the Tunisia game. It was like I didn't really feel nervous, and then as soon as we won that game, it was like, and then kind of waking up the next morning and seeing Denmark had lost and being like, oh, we we could go through. I was not. I thought we'd be out of contention by now, and then yeah. I've all got these thoughts as like, oh, we might actually do this. I gave them no chance, and they're proving me wrong. <laughs> oh my god! I'm a million times. I'm just so nervous now. Like Wednesday <laughs> night is going to be hell. Thursday morning for people in a real time zone, but yes. <laughs> um, what about Tilio? Tilio is, uh, yeah, Tilio is um, probably more of a break glass in case of emergency. Considering he wasn't even in the actual squad to begin with. Yeah, and you know, Tilio is the sort of player where he's very, he can go past people, and he does have that kind of. Um, to use a uh, to use a, a football manager term, he's got that special something. Um, <laughs> he he's very he's I'm not you know he had kind of has had an up and down start to the A League men's season, uh, which is one of the reasons why I wouldn't have uh, I did I didn't have him in my um in my World Cup squad before the tournament either. Uh, but I'm you know I'm, I think it was the right choice to take him when Boyle had to pull out. Tilio's, I think against like a deep lying defensive, Denmark just decide they get a pack numbers behind the ball. If Denmark go like one nil up or two nil up and just like, we're going to sit back and let you come at us. Maybe that's a situation where you use Tilio where he can, you know, he's good in tight spaces. He can, he doesn't need a lot of space to, uh, you know, to create more space for him. So, um, Whereas I think we're going to be probably playing on the counter a lot of the Denmark game. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you want guys like Lecky and Goodwin um, and maybe Mabil and Kowal probably more so than Tilio, especially if we do manage to go a goal up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you never really know. I'm trying to... What, our game... Are, they, are the games at the same time? Yes. So we're that's going to be... Yeah, sucks. it's going to be 11 p.m., and as someone who's going to be doing like a match report slash like player ratings um, at 11 p.m. at night, 
uh, on a tight deadline for print, uh, whilst there's another game going on which may or may not just matter. Uh, yeah, it may it may not matter at all, or it may completely screw our chances. Uh, when you know Wednesday night slash Thursday morning is going to be an experience with a capital E. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was an, actually a point I wanted to make before and I completely forgot but going into the first game I think there was a lot of chat around the makeup of the defense and they ended up starting well the center backs anyway I think it was pretty clear that Bayh was left back and you know it was either Atkinson or Carrot. I would have started Karachich but Atkinson got the start so whatever but the makeup of the two center backs and I, I wanted the roles and Suta combo I know some people thought maybe Thomas Deng would play um some people maybe even thought Degenek. I don't think anyone really thought Bailey Wright was going to play. Um, but I don't know. Is that the, the back pairing you wanted? I was. I kind of wasn't too sure, to be honest. It was like I knew, we knew Sutar was, if he was fit, he was going to be starting. Um, I felt like Kai Rolls was probably going to be the guy alongside him. But then it's also like, well, Degenek has been kind of used a lot by Arnold and his predecessors and has been fairly solid. Um, kind of might have a bit of an error with it, like has an error in him. But then Bailey Wright is sort of the same player where it's like, yeah, he's solid for like 85 minutes, but might just, like against better defences, he'll be a bit exposed and he just feel like he's a bit more susceptible. And so uh, I think, you know, I think, I think it's worked all right. It works a lot better against Tunisia, but it did against France, obviously. Um, yeah. I think Rolls is... Uh, you know he he's been he was pretty solid against Tunisia. Um, I think Sutar. You know I think uh, you know Bayes is Bayes isn't losing that left back spot unless he just drops his even if he drops a stinker. I think Grandma will persist with him. Um, the back four was kind of a, for me the biggest worry coming in. But you know I think Tunisia they were they were excellent. It, it, there's two things about Aziz Bayes that astound me. One. That he's not playing in Turkey this year. Yeah, that's, some... he's gone to Scotland. It's very. I know it doesn't fit. Like he, no. he's made a career out of just like you know completing the Turkish, you know, yeah. the the like cat... Turkish he... Infinity Stones. Yes, he's played for like I don't know a million teams over there in all divisions, and then two, it stands that they haven't actually found another left back to really compete with him in like the last nigh on ten years. I know Joel King's in the squad, but. And I, th- I think Joel King's neat. I think he's great, but it, it stands with that there's no real competition to Bayich. Like yeah. I, I'd, I'd say, there's at least like a threat to almost everyone else in the squad, except maybe Aaron Moy's spot, because I don't think anyone else can really play that deep lying play. If that's the way Arnie goes, but yeah. like you've got other wingers, you've got other attacking midfielders, you've got three strikers, you've got a bunch of options at right back and centre back. You've even got a bloody goalkeeper change if you really wanted to for penalty shootouts and stuff. And then it's just Bayich. He's just there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the argument was Jason Davidson, who's had a really good season. And I think he's in Belgium at the moment, actually, going back to the... <laughs> uh, jumping back to that topic. Um, he's had a... By all accounts, Davidson's had a really good season in Europe. Um, and he was pretty... Uh, well, if you look at the kind of... His likes on Twitter, he certainly took umbrage with the fact he wasn't in the squad. Uh, he's... Uh, you know, I, and you know, as someone who watched Jason Davis and a lot of Perth Glory, he was fantastic when he was there. 
um, the one se- the one one and a half seasons or whatever it was he had at Glory. I think it was just a one in the end. Yeah, one. Um, but he was yeah he was phenomenal that season for Glory, and I think uh, you know like Alex Gersbeck as well. Like I remember him coming onto the scene and being really good, and then he's in uh, he's in France at the moment still. Uh, yeah, he's oh. at Grenoble. Yeah, he's only twenty five, and I'm like. I remember seeing him play at least one good game for the Socceroos and then we just never saw him again. So it's, uh, <laughs> and then like Callum Elders, uh, never really been given a go, um, even though he's been kind of you know, getting consistent game time in the championship and league one for a while. And yeah, it just feels like Bayer has a monopoly on that thing. And yeah, he's very solid, but unspectacular. Like, he's also- not going to, to win you games, but like he's also not going to be very probably not going to be a reason you lose games as well. Yeah, and it's also everyone's favourite trivia answer, Brad Smith. Yeah, oh God. Talk about uh, yeah. Uh, the, I did not enjoy the Brad Smith at left-back experience. I just found he just, it was just all pace and no finesse. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you do, but other times you definitely need finesse. <laughs> like, I just, what did Bournemouth pay for him like that, when that came out? They or- paid a, it was like was it like three million or something? I, I think it was. Uh, it was at least a million. I remember it being a million, and it was like, oh yeah, oh, because wow, like this guy's going to be in the in the Premier League for a while, and now he's he's playing MLS, I believe. He's a free agent. He's not even. He's a free agent. Yeah. He last uh, played for DC. Coming to an A League men's team near you, I imagine. I mean, yeah, he seems like he screams like uh, yeah. Western and United sure, or MacArthur. I'm sure he'd do. Yeah, I'm sure he'd do a pretty good job at A League men's level, especially like given how much A-League teams love to counter-attack and he get, and this would be a kind of scenario where his pace would be really handy because he is he is rapid, like I know his crossing like it was really you know, underwhelming at times but you know, he was quick he was uh, uh, yeah, just absolutely, like gone with the wind Yeah, I, I did enjoy like, I'm pretty sure Smith got um, released by Liverpool and then re-signed and then Bournemouth paid. I don't know the exact thing, but if that feels right, I don't know. But let's play a game. Can you guess how many times Brad Smith's played for Australia? Because it's more than I thought. I would... I want to say about 22. 23. 23? I was, I was thinking, like, I knew it was more than 10. Like, I knew it was more than, like, a dozen. And I was like, it's going to be more than I think. So I'll shoot over and I think I'll be quite close. But yeah, because um, he was, yeah, like, and like he was used quite a lot under Poster Cogler. 2016, he had 10 caps. Yeah. That's, yeah, peak. peak that was kind of around the time. Yeah, that would have been Andrew's uh, post peak. kind of Asian Cup era. Yeah. He played one cap last year. I assume that was, you know, one of those weird COVID y. World Cup yeah, yeah, I remember him playing. Yeah, I remember him being in one of the squads recently. It was like, oh, Brad Smith still a thing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did. I forgot that. <laughs> All right, let's jump ahead to the Denmark game. Are there any changes you you would make from the Tunisia game from the lineup? I think only Hristich, uh coming in, and that's if he's fit. Um, there hasn't been. I haven't seen too much team news. Um, Harry Sujar was saying it's actually it was actually recovery wise it was actually easier than the French game because even though they played in like the scorching hot like summer heat because of the time zone they were actually able to get a good night's sleep in afterwards and that's obviously like 
like sleep's so important to recovery. Whereas the France game, because they played so late at night, it's like completely messed up their sleeping patterns. So yeah, uh, you know, the fact that it, they were playing the early game actually really helped them out in terms of re- like uh, rehabilitation. I haven't seen, I like I said earlier, I haven't seen any news about Nathaniel Atkinson. I don't know if he is going to be, if his ankle injury was like minor and he could retake his place or if he, you know, honorable error on the side of caution or what. I, I think the only change I would make is I'd definitely take, like if Rooster's just fit, he needs to start over McGree. And I kind of like, I think Duke has earned his spot in the team with his performance against two this year. But, Considering like we can, you know, Denmark are going to be pushing. Um, maybe Jamie McLaren starting up front wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to maybe pin them back a bit. But you know, I I think if Duke starts, I I understand it. I think he's earned it. Maybe McLaren, I think McLaren will feature at some point if we um you know if we're in a position to go through. I think McLaren, uh, the longer we're in that position to go through during the game, I think higher of a chance we'll see McLaren off the bench or, you know, if that's if he's not starting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I would have agreed with you after the France game, I thought maybe McLaren would come in, but I think, yeah, I can't really drop Duke now. The only one I would no. make is I, I, I would just change Trustage for Riley yeah, McGree. Yeah. There was a lot of chat before this Nissi game about like, oh, Garan Quall needs to start. And like, even people, no. even people at work were like saying to me, why isn't Quall starting? And I was like, brother, he's never, like, he's never started a game. Do you understand this? Like, he's never played more than like 30 minutes in a competitive game. Well, maybe not 30, but yeah, like, he's never started a senior game in his life. Like, why do you want it to happen all of a sudden on like, like now? And it's I, not like he'd be starting against A League. That's what I mean. He like, he's never started against, a, like, world-class players whose like athletic ceiling is higher he would be like like they'd have to bring him off at half time because he'd be knackered exactly like, well i think he'd be knackered i don't know nothing this guy does like makes sense to me he just kind of comes on and scores and maybe he just would be completely fine i don't know like yeah. if there's anyone if it's any player who i who i'm just like you know what you, you have the benefit of the doubt like it would be Garang. Having said that, I still wouldn't start him. No, I wouldn't start him because I also think like there's a lot of value in having that mm. um, jitterbug to at your disposal off the bench if you you know needed something special or if you're attacking a a, a looser defense, a, a counter attacking style of play. I, I don't know, like just the calls to start qual, and they weren't like deafening or anything, but there was definitely more there than I thought was necessary and I was like oh okay is that a thing now yeah and I think especially the um heading into this Denmark game uh they've played three at the back the first two games of the group uh the wingbacks have been uh bombing on a lot which is why I think Leckie and Goodwin should start because well, I trust both of them to track back um and I think the bill would track with you know would track back as well, but I don't think he's played as well off the bench, especially against Tunisia, to kind of warrant a start, whereas Lucky and Kugrin have both done their jobs. But like Denmark, all their chances come from wide areas. It's, they're like a more polished kind of like more technical version of Australia, but they just love like their wingbacks bomb forward. If they get like, they're always looking to play the wide man. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, Rasmus Christensen and Joachim Male, um, 
have been started have started both their games at wing back. Christensen looks really good going forward. Um, and you know, against France they kind of played a three four three, so they had these kind of inside forwards who were kind of buzzing out wide as well and interacting with wing backs and um, caused France a couple of problems. Uh, like uh, Mikel Damsgaard is like pretty good on the ball. Uh, I think Denmark are going to look at uh, are going to attack a lot down the wings, and this is why Lecky and Goodwin uh, are going to be really important for us because they are going to need to track back as much as possible to offer ex- extra defensive support and help out the fullbacks. The flip side of that is uh, you can get at Denmark in behind the wingbacks because they bomb forward so much and there is space behind. Um, both France's goals came from kind of like quick counterattacks, which began from wide areas. And, you know, the wingbacks kind of got back in time, but by the time they got back, it was kind of too late. Um, they weren't like classic counterattacking goals, but it was interesting to me that there's like, both of them started with like very direct attacks from out wide, um, which, you know, came about because the wingbacks uh, were kind of slightly out of position and tracking back and France just kind of got there first. So, yeah, I, I kind of wrote something for West Australia yesterday and said, if we if Australia want to win, like as much as Christian Eriksen is a really good player who can just, you know, is, is really magic, I think the key is actually shutting down the wingbacks and not giving them much because, Denmark used Chris, you have used Christensen and Marley a lot in advanced areas. Um, and it's just going to be like that to me is a critical battle going to, into this Denmark game. Yeah. Um, I also do worry though about them overloading the midfield and maybe running around Moy, considering yeah. what we saw against Tunisia. And look, Ericsson, Ericsson isn't the most mobile, but you know, Hoybier is very you know, very combative and very good at yeah. that midfield like, pressing and winning the ball. So. doesn't scare me with the ball. Like, he's, he's very good at, like, kind of circulating the ball. He'll keep possession. He's not someone I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, like, he I, he's not going to, like, cut us apart in the way that Ericsson might. If he he's no pasty Perlo. No, he's not. Um, this, I've now said that Hoiberg is 100% going to score or have some insane assist just to spite me. <laughs> Rabona, um, top corner. Yeah. Um, against Tunisia, they went 3-5-2 and against France, they went 3-4-3. I think they'll go 3-5-2 and try and boss that middle of the park. Um, I felt like against France, like when they went 3-4-3, Ericsson was playing in the middle and he was he was more disciplined. He was sitting a bit deeper. He still kind of picked his moments to get forward and kind of try and receive a ball in advanced positions and link up with the inside forwards and the wing backs. But, um, you know, because he kind of had that extra defensive responsibility, I felt like they maybe didn't get most out of him. So I, if they start 3-4-3 against us, I kind of, I think I'd be happy uh, than if they went 3-5-2, which I think is probably going to help them a bit more. But they're like, they, the fact they haven't won a game yet, and the fact they should they would have entered that Tunisia game thinking this is you know we win this game and like we're we've got one foot in the next stage and the fact they didn't and then the fact that they lost to France um, you know with in a game that you know they were in that France game that will be weighing on their minds like I know they have experience with you know I think they won their third group game at the Euros to qualify and then went on a run to the semis but I think they are like susceptible to an upset here. I'm not saying that Australia will win like emphatically, but I'm yes. just saying like, Say I think, it. Oh, I don't want to tempt that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I I do think Denmark are somewhat gettable. I still think they have a better team. I still think they deserve to be favourites. But I do think that there is, like, the longer this game goes on at, like, nil all, like, they are going to be, like, start to, you know... Uh, I get nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Pressure does funny th- As my dad repeatedly says to me every time, we watch any form of sport together and it's really it's somewhat close. Oh, pressure does funny things to to people. Like when someone misses a layup in basketball or like yeah. a drop ball in the footy, it's like oh pressure does funny things. Like, oh, all right, mate. Yep. You've it's, said you've yeah. said that. I've heard this a million times. But Maybe you know what? So much pressure, but it's more like the fact that it's a bit of a pressure, but more so the fact that like coupled with the fact that the other team are not letting them have their way. Like, if Denmark are dominating tomorrow and it's still nil all, um, but they're, like, getting all these chances, I don't think they're going to panic as much. I think if they, like, if Australia are really stifling them and not giving up many good looks, um, that's when I think they might panic. Yeah. I mean, look, put it this way. De- Denmark's princess is Australian and there's going to be 11 kings following her on Thursday. <laughs> uh, I have got, since we started this conversation, I've gone from... A, Oh, Denmark are going to are probably favourites to Australia going to win to Denmark are going to beat us and I'm going to be sad for a while. So the mood swings have already started. Yeah, and it's, they, and it's Tuesday. Yeah. Yep, we're still, uh, I believe, what like eight? We're twenty. What's um, thirty six hours away, or just under thirty six hours away from kickoff, and it's already um, it's already too much, intolerable. <laughs> I'd take you. I'm not doing the maths. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Okay, I won't ask you for a prediction then, because we'll just leave it. We won't, because it's not going to be. It's not going to be a anything yeah. rooted in analysis. It's just going to be, oh, we're going to win, or oh, I'm so nervous, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, I've done the analysis, um, yeah. and as as I've kind of proved throughout this World Cup, I actually know nothing about football. So. Yeah, fair. No one really does. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I thought we would be would have been eliminated from qualifying by this <laughs> point. So uh, you know, the fact that we're not. Is like just this proves that once again football pundits and football writers actually know nothing. Yeah, yeah. More broadly, just to wrap it up, let's do a little bit briefly. Uh what's been your favorite moment of the World Cup so far? That's a very good question. I don't like I think the Tunisia win, probably. Like I think just because it was like we won a game at World Cup for 12 years, and yes, we went into it thinking that Tunisia was going to be the game we were going to win. Uh, but then for us to actually achieve that was like a wow, holy crap! Like we we've done this, we can do this. Um, yeah. and it's you know as it's an amazing moment for the team. You know, like Graham Arnold. Um, you know, he never went to a World Cup as a player. Um, so for him to win a game as a manager is an incredible achievement. And the first um, Australian-born coach to win at the World Cup, exactly as well. And you know, like I always go back to the 2014 World Cup where. You know, outside of it, like we for you know, almost you know, the Chile game we started slowly, and then once we got the equaliser, I thought we were a better team in that game. And then the Dutch game was just like, I liked the fact that even though we didn't have a great squad, we just took it to Chile and the Netherlands, and you know, we took it to Spain as well. But Spain just completely played us off the park. But like, I always have a bit of a special spot in my heart for that 2014 team who did everything but win, but just kind of were like they like. We talked about Aussie DNA. They showed Aussie DNA because they were <laughs> like, it, yeah, I know they were, but they didn't care who they were playing. They were just like, we're still going to try to be proactive with the ball, even if we're like 
worse than um, you know than the other teams in our group. Um, and you know this team will now probably have a really special spot in my heart because they actually won a game, which is what the 2014 team were unable to achieve. So I think you know that Tunisia wins out there. I think the Argentina Saudi Arabia game as well, which was like Argentina I was, was going to say a non-Australian one, and I was going to say that but yes you go and just the fact that Argentina could have been 3-0 no up at half time and just I think they had three goals ruled out by VAR yeah and, 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 and there was certain scored two in five minutes and it was like oh what what just happened here yeah and there were certain people who may have bet the overs in that game <laughs> that were very annoyed <laughs> um yeah I think I I think that's it my low light has a 100% being um, like I have English parents, my earliest football memories have been were like watching the England national team. So, like, even though I was born in Australia, I'm very proudly Australian. Um, I will always have like a weird spot in my heart for the English team. Um, I wish I'd known this before I asked you on here. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, well, mate, we could, I could have done an hour of ranting about that England USA game because that was one of the worst games I've ever watched, and I almost threw something against. Like, I think like. I've never been more angry at 4 a.m. in the morning than watching Gareth Southgate decide that just what that game needed was Jordan Henderson. <laughs> um, I think it's been good. Like, maybe it's not so much a, like a moment, but just seeing kind of Mbappe kind of take that next step to be like he's the next kind of like megastar and just being able to watch him against Australia, just like this guy is different gravy and then even like you see Messi kind of has his moment against Mexico which is always really cool and like even the Costa Rica Japan game like just seeing Costa Rica win 1-0 after they had seven put past them by Spain was like really inspiring to see and it's it's always good when a minnow gets up and like Morocco aren't exactly a minnow but seeing them beat Belgium was really cool and yeah like I like it the Spain Germany game wasn't like a classic but it was like from a tactical perspective, I kind of like really enjoyed like the, like even though it was just 3 a.m. in the morning, I felt like vindicated because it was just kind of like a really interesting game from a tactical perspective. And then we had just the two ridiculous games, the two early games yesterday, which were just goals, goals. I was going to say, goals. yeah, the Cameroon-Serbia. I missed I miss the Cameroon-Serbia game because I was at soccer. And then I came back and was like, okay, I'm get, I have to get, I'm starting work at five in the morning, it's 10 a.m. It's 10 p.m. now. I'm going to go to bed, get seven hours of sleep. And then I just started watching the second half of South Korea, Ghana, and then South Korea scored two goals in four minutes. And I was like, well, I'm staying up to watch the rest of the game now. Like, that's just, uh, that was decided for me. And I'm paying for it today. But I, again, I don't feel sad about it. Yet. No, no. Uh, one thing I would add is Lewandowski scoring his first World yeah, Cup Yeah, that goal. was really not. That was just, I like, I love Lewandowski. And, just the, the way he just collapsed on the floor, it was just like he was like that had always been the knock on him the fact that he hadn't scored a World Cup. Like, ignore the fact that he had been insanely good in getting Poland to all these major tournaments, the fact that he'd never scored a World Cup and Poland hadn't played well with him up front, even though he's been the best striker in the league in the, in the world for like the past five, ten years. And it's just like, oh, he hasn't scored a World Cup, he's rubbish. And to see him finally do that. Was uh, was awesome, and it was also great. The same game that that Wojciech Szczesny save the follow-up. Oh, yes, I'm glad you brought. Oh off my it. god! So like, I was watching that game live, and it was a crap penalty. But 
Yeah, like the follow-up, I thought the bloke skied it, and then yeah, I, I was I really confused it. why it was a corner. And then yeah, I saw I it initially. I was like, "This is a this is, like, oh wow, I can't believe he's put it over from there." And then you watch a replay, and Shesley gets a mitt to it, and it's like far out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's probably unless so. you got anything to add. I I think uh, that's that's a nice conclusion. Boy, check Chesney. Who would have thought it? Yeah, I mean, if you want, like, I get paid to write about like sport for a living. I tipped Portugal to go out of the group stage. I'm feeling very stupid right now. It's just a reminder that the so-called experts we don't actually know a thing. Uh, <laughs> and I also tipped Uruguay to make an incredible run to the final, which uh, I regretted about 60 minutes into Uruguay versus South Korea. Uh, on multiple occasions, I was swearing at the Uruguayan coach because Rodrigo Bentancur was sitting far too deep to have any influence on that game. <laughs> well, I feel a lot better about my bet for Germany to win the World Cup then. <laughs> I, I said they'd get through a group. I'm, I stuck by that even after the, uh, after the Japan loss, which was just very weird because they should have, like the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game, they should have just put that game into bed. And I woke up, I went to bed at halftime being like, oh, Germany are going to win this. Like, they should be 4-0 up. And then woke up and was like, how the hell did Japan win? Well, yeah, well, the last game's, what, Germany, Costa Rica and Spain, Japan. I feel like Germany's still favourites to go through, but, like, bloody yeah. hell. Imagine if, Japan, like, Spain have looked pretty good the first two games. Imagine if, like, Japan get a result against Spain and then Spain is suddenly, like, knocked out. I mean... That would require either Costa Rica winning or Germany winning by about what, like, yeah. But like, isn't it isn't it isn't it head to is it head to head or like? Oh, uh, actually, yeah, I don't know. I yeah. like, it changes with I think. I don't. Yeah, know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because maybe the Euros that has head to head, but yeah, um, I think this last kind of like stage of fixtures is going to be really fun. Like, um. Like Ecuador, Senegal at 11 p.m. or like, which will probably have been played by the time this goes out. But that could be really fun. Like, then you have like Poland, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, like Mexico, Croatia, Belgium is going to be just an absolute bloodbath, and I'm here for it. And like Ghana, Uruguay with like the Suarez kind of narrative and the fact that Ghana can like knock out Uruguay with a win, and it just yeah, it's and then even South Korea, Portugal, I think it has like low key like fun yeah. potential. So, and Serbia, Switzerland, there's like a bit of history between those two, yeah. like both on field and off field. So, again, <laughs> like I'm rooting for the chaos in that game. One more moment, I forgot. Uh, Alfonso Davies becoming Canada's first ever goal scorer. Yeah, that was cool. That was really, and it happened in the first minute as well. Tim Cahill areas against Yeah, the, it was. He's a great cut. header as well. Like he just timed his run perfectly because he's so athletic. It just like, because I saw, yeah, I saw better, the- better than that. Yeah, because I saw the interview after the game where obviously they lost, and the other guy's like, you know, I yeah, I know you're disappointed, but you know, who who was it? Was it Laren? I think it was whoever or no, whoever assisted. It's like assist to Davies. It's going to live in the minds of you know Canadian kids and you know the next generation. And he's like, yeah, it's really cool, you know, ref, like because his story is really interesting as well. Yeah, like, born in the the refugee, and actually reading about Davies made me go read up on the Liberian Civil War. And like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and then, you know, coming to Canada, you know, barely speaking English, 
obviously now he's a superstar at Bayern and I think he's one of the best you know wing wingers wing backs whatever you want to call him in the world and I watched the highlights of the Canadian like I watched the highlights of all the games that Canada played in the qualification process and it's just like I think he missed a few games with injury but it's like him and Kyle Laren who I think plays for it's either Whitecaps or some random European team so that's really good of me isn't it that I don't even know <laughs> Rouge there you go um just yeah, that whole qualifying run, real Cinderella stuff, and it's a little bit of a shame that they've had a disappointing tournament. But it, you know, it's a tough group. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's still like those little moments, even in yeah stuff like that. Like it's still like even you know Australia with Cahill's goal in 2014. Like yeah, it was a tough group. Didn't make it out of it, but yeah. you know we still have the volley. So yeah, and I think that's like to an extent, like for the smaller nations, like. That's what it's about. For ones who are never going to win the World Cup, it's about the moments. It's about where were you moments. And I kind of wrote about this for Perth Now today. Um, cheeky plug. Uh, <laughs> Mitch Duke's goal is already a where were you moment because of the scenes it triggered and like what it has come to represent already. And you know, for if if Wales get a, a result against England overnight, for example, like um, is always Wales was like, well, we got knocked out, but where were you when we when Gareth Bale scored that goal against England or you know, for the World Cup is so great for so many reasons. Like, obviously, the location of this World Cup is subpar for many different, like, ethical reasons and whatnot. But, you know, we've still seen some, like, things I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. That, and there's and things which um, are going to mean a lot to so many, like, millions, billions of people around the world. And that shouldn't be discounted. You'd hope that if you're a celebrity that Aaron Ramsey doesn't get on the score sheet for Wales. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I don't, oh man, who's? I wonder who he's going to knock off next. Like that, he's got one last like big celebrity like scalp before he retires. Surely, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I, I prefer not to speak. No, exactly. If yeah, if I speak, I'm in big trouble. Big, big trouble. <laughs> right. Well, you've kind of already plugged all your bylines, but one final I plug. I haven't did. Uh, yeah, um, my Twitter's at bensmith94. I write for West Australian and Perth now. Um, yeah, I've, I think that's it. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at bensquag. Um, it feels really weird saying my handle out loud. I don't like it. Um, yeah, it's, it's unnatural. It's like, nah. it's like talking in third person. Yeah, I wouldn't introduce myself like, in the wild as hi yeah. I'm, I'm x y i would never want anyone i mean in person to know me off the internet for a start oh That's... god no oh no <laughs> um you can follow the, the podcast beyond t fence beyondfence.com.au uh spotify itunes other various podcast networks if you're weird like that um google Podcasts, stitcher if you listen on soundcloud because you're uh, god is why you listen directly on soundcloud uh leave us a rating other than that thanks for listening and we'll see you next time